0: Hi there and welcome back to the
1: ESPN
2: Footy Podcast.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast once again, an off-season special where we're going to look at the trade and free agency periods just gone and look forward to the AFL draft with the help of ESPN expert Chris Dorry. I'm Matt Walsh, I'm joined by Jake Michaels and champion artist Christian Jolly as per usual. Chris, good to have you in the studio again, first time for about three years we were trying to work out that it's been, uh, but your busy season is well and truly underway for ESPN
0: looking at uh, all the uh, best juniors in the in the country. How's it all going? Yeah, it's been a very busy year, not only watching the NAB League, but I also cover the state leagues and I watch a lot of AFL as well. So I'm really pretty much everywhere watching as many games as I can every weekend. Footy, so. footy, footy. Do you get a chance uh, between sort of December and February to not watch footy at all? I do. I'm a keen NBA fan and I love my tennis. So that's sort of my off season. So Excellent. Um, there you go. Yeah. Well, if you want to read some of Chris's stuff, it is definitely on the website all the time, ESPN.com.au forward
1: slash AFL. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff coming out in the next few weeks as the draft approaches. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff already on there, including the power rankings each month. Uh, Chris goes through and ranks uh, all the players that are going to be in this year's draft, uh, and uh, they change months to month. so make sure you do check those out. Uh, before we get stuck into the draft stuff, though, Jake, good mm. we'll to be speaking to you again uh, during the offseason, just whittling away there at your computer again. Um Trades and free agencies, we, yep. the consensus we came to in the pre-podcast meeting was that it was a pretty big off-season. A lot of big names changed hands, some bombshell deals went through, uh, a bit of controversy here and there, some 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 surprise names put themselves up to be traded and uh, and got their wish and some others didn't. Uh, I mean, you've got to take stock somewhere, but it was a big couple of weeks. Where do you
2: want to start? It might be recency bias or whatever you want to call it, but I feel like this this trade period, had more happening in it than previous years. We probably didn't have the massive superstar name moving club, but there were a lot of B plus to <laughs> A minus graders. Uh, uh,
1: a best and fairest winner
2: move club. Yeah, he did. Um, Friend of the pot, Josh, Josh Dunkley. Uh, yeah, but I, but I don't as much as we love Dunkley, and I think a lot of and I and I'm very bullish on what he's going to achieve at Brisbane, but I don't think we had a top 15, 20 player in the league. Move club.
1: It's funny you say that, but you probably there are players who, in the past, as many as as little as sort of two or three years ago, probably would have been rated in that sort of top fifteen. What, to 20. You're
2: talking about someone like Lockie Neal, who I had rated. No, top no I'm saying five someone and... this
1: year, like Brody Grundy, who moved signed a oh, seven-year sorry, extension. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying this year, uh, maybe not in the top fifteen yeah, players, but in previous possibly. years had been. Yeah, but even with de- even Tom Mitchell,
2: with, yeah, well, exactly. But even with delistings and things like that, there just seems to be a lot of list changes this year, so it just seems like there was a lot happening. Mm. So it's been... I guess it's a lot's happened since we last spoke on this
1: podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's only been a few weeks, but you're right, a lot has happened. Christian, you were saying before that uh, you've sort of turned your attention away from footy in the last couple of weeks and, and will continue to turn your attention away from footy because Champion Data is doing uh, something a little bit different. I don't know if you can actually reveal this in the pod, but if you can, what what are you up to?
3: Uh, so, yeah, um, we started uh, in twenty at the start of this year, 2022, we covered the Premier Lacrosse League over in the US, uh, which is an outdoor lacrosse league. Uh, uh, league, um, and yeah, sort of did such a good job on that. That their other competition, the NLL, the National Lacrosse League, which is an indoor sort of um, box lacrosse league, sort of like an indoor, you know, play on an indoor ice hockey rink type thing, uh, will also be capturing their stats for it's them a lot this Smaller, year. yeah, a lot of a lot of smaller, a lot smaller field, um, five on five compared to I think it's seven on seven in the in the outdoor one. Uh, yeah, so we're sort of. Um, got yeah 15 it's 15 franchises or cities that gonna you know host games we've got to train up about 60 staff before december 4th to get this season under the way so yeah sort of uh, becoming a little bit of a lacrosse expert in the last couple of months you're gonna head over uh yeah, we might
1: have to just to train up some of the staff. How does footy compare to lacrosse in terms of I mean, I know they're both three hundred and sixty degree games. Do you find that there can be a few similarities you can pinch from footy and say, Oh, this is a stat you guys should be recording?
3: Oh, very much. And it, it comes down to the way it's just way champion data was built from day one is the possessional base call, so we call every time someone gets the ball in AFL. It's the same in lacrosse. They they want to record the goals, the assists, the turnovers. We found it's easier if you actually call every single pass and every time someone gets the ball you can work out the turnovers and the assists, you know, derive from that. So sort of, um, yeah, sort of it's the way we've been doing footy for about 24 years. As I said, we did the PLL at the start of the year and it sort of probably blew their mind a little bit in terms of we could actually see every time someone has got the ball and when that is. Um, and we're sort of applying that to the next lacrosse league as well. So I think that's sort of, yeah, re- received quite well by the leagues that they'll actually get a lot more data than they're actually asked for. There you go.
1: Stay tuned. I think
2: we've got a lacrosse podcast
1: starting next year. <laughs>
2: I can't say I watch a lot of lacrosse, but
1: hey, I'll give it a go one day. Uh, Chris, while we've got you in, just talking about the trades and the free agencies, uh, you wrote a piece, uh, basically trade grades for every club, uh, how they fared in the in the, the off-season or the early part of the off-season. So you can uh, read that on ESPN.com.au, as I said earlier. But your early winners
0: and losers, the big clubs, how do you think they went? Sure. So the big winners, so clearly Geelong getting Bows in pick seven, phenomenal stuff there. Um, Brisbane being able to add both Dunkley and Gunston, and then having enough picks where they should be able to get Ashcroft and Fletcher is phenomenal. And then Richmond now finally have a midfield, adding Taranto and Hopper. So they Jake, were phenomenal outcomes. Jake, you thought the Power had a really good offseason as well?
2: Yeah, I think they did. Uh, I was very, very high on port, I think, in the last our last episode when we sort of threw it ahead to... To uh to next season, and I think they're going to make a jump. I don't think they're they're falling off. If you if you go back six seven months ago, a lot of people picked Port to win the flag this year. I think a couple of people in this room did. So I might have, yeah, yeah. So I think they they haven't really lost anything. I mean, Amon's gone, but I think everyone expected that throughout the year Um, to bring in Horn Francis, who um, as you were saying just off air, Chris, that he what he was able to produce last season before being drafted. uh, If he can, if he can. Recapture that form and then take that next step, which a lot of people expect him to do as a form number one pick. I mean, they're gonna, he's just adding to what's already a strong midfield with a couple of the younger guys stepping up again this year.
3: And I looked at some of the numbers for Horn Francis and you know, like compare him to what he is so the teenagers that he played against this year. And he sort of, he you know, he didn't set the world on fire when you're looking at rankings in terms of the competition or at North Melbourne, but he was the sort of second uh, or sixth most rating points of any um, teenager across the competition. I think he was second in total. And sort of the most contested possessions, 8.2. Next most for any te- teenager was Tyler Sonsi, who played, I think, six games for Richmond. He was six and a half contested possessions per game. And Horn Francis, third for tackles per game. So we, we know at Samphill. he was a inside beast. He could get the ball on the outside. Mm. He could finish and, you know, kick some goals and some highlights. But in terms of the season he just had playing, in, you know, a pretty tough season at North Melbourne, they weren't getting a lot of free ball. To see him rank so highly in contested possessions and tackles, I was sort of... You know, I take it a step back, looking at those numbers. Going, yeah, he's. I think he's travelling fine. There was just too much expectations, and the club was too hard. But at yeah. Port, he could, yeah, he could become and, a, you know, a top twenty midfielder within a year or two, easy.
2: And you can't underestimate how much, how much goes into like being wanting to be at the place you're at. Like, I think if he's now settled and happy being at Port, he's going to be a far better player, and he's still young. He's he's. I I just think Port is going to take that step back into the into the eight and potentially the top four uh, next season well, with a softer draw as well.
3: And they're really added to their forward half. So we talked about Horn Francis. I know, uh, you know, just talked about he's good tackler and pressure numbers, but he is, he's a sort of a forward, attacking sacking midfielder. And then they've added, we added Willy Rioli. Mm. Orazio Fantasia could come back who hasn't played all yeah. year. And then you've got Butters and Rosie who can, you know, if they get a, a yeah. more solid season under their belt, it's a pretty dangerous forward line, I think.
1: You, you look at North and you think, you know, well, they had to get something in, in return. Um, it probably wasn't ideal Chris now, you've been watching the draft for a long time the value of high picks though where can you kind of put the value on
0: someone who doesn't want to be at your club uh, and then you, you have to just sort of take kind of what, you, what you're offered yeah, look, I considered the return to be adequate or about as good as they could have gotten in the end. And look, obviously, the it's a PR nightmare where if you're losing Horn, Francis, a former number one, if you're trading away this year's number one as well, look, that doesn't look good. But all things considered, I believe that they might actually, at picks two and three, be picking the guys that, they, that were actually their preference, So even you even at number one.
1: Would you say clubs would be more likely to want to... If you got offered two and three
0: for one in any given year... Having watched the draft for as long as you have, would you take that more years than not? Um, it, Certainly, if I could get two and three for just pick one, absolutely. Mm. absolutely I think you'd a do that every year without, yeah. Even, yeah. without even going in blind, not even knowing the players.
2: I think you'd take that every time. Two, 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 two and three, we, yeah. yeah. And if we it can was pick three the... and nine, maybe you think about it. Two in the top ten, but it's two and three. I mean, how often have we seen the second or third or
0: fourth or fifth best player be better than the first player? Mm. Yeah, and we can even look at the points value of like when we look at the bidding, how many points that's worth Well, um, picks two and three would be worth well over um, 4,000 points Whereas pick one is worth 3,000 So comfortably um, you'd be taking picks two and three
1: Teams that probably didn't
0: have such a great offseason um, Those teams, so obviously Gold Coast, losing some key players But having to throw Bows in that trade or sorry, losing pick seven in the trade with Bows wasn't great um, additionally, I had amongst the losers um, who I have. I had Melbourne, mm. where I, I didn't like the addition of Grundy. I just don't think that fits with Gorn. Where I, I'm worried for them that um, Gorn will be relegated to playing forward, given Grundy. When he played even going back in time with Jared Witts, it just didn't really work there.
1: It was a bit different, I think, when you look at someone like Luke Jackson, who's so much younger than Max mm-hmm. Gorn. So there was a clear sort of path there for uh, sort of Jackson to eventually sort of take over the number one role and, and have a really good apprenticeship under one of the, the best leaders in the game. But you look at Grundy and Gorn, and they're not dissimilar in age. Not, I think Grundy's only a couple of years younger than, than Max Gorn is. So it is kind of a perplexing move when they're both clearly number one rucks, Jake.
2: Yeah, it's, it's strange, but... It, it, it's something that could work wonders and they win a flag or it could be disastrous and I think we'll know pretty early on in the season how it's going to go I, I mean I don't need to say it again how I feel about Ruckman but yeah I just think now they've got the two best Ruckman in the league that I think a lot of people would say so what, are they penciled into in the flag now?
1: I reckon every time next year, Christian, I think next time, every time that Jake mentions, you know my thoughts on Ruckman on this podcast, we've got to take a drink of something.
2: <laughs> I reckon <laughs> every second week. Well, I mean, seriously, like why, if if Max Gorn's so good, why are they going out and getting it's, Brody Grundy? It,
3: it is, and it's really unusual. We've been, you know, debating about it in the office and everyone's got their own opinions and that, but it comes down to, they've, they've added an elite play. like he is an elite player. He's not an elite Ruckman. You look at Grundy and going back to you know contested possession numbers and some of his ground ball numbers. He was in the elite bracket of the competition of, of all players. So, it is. It's a funny one. You can't play two rucks all the time. Um, Geelong showed that you can sort of play you know with Reece Stanley as a as a back half ruckman and then have Tom Hawkins or um, someone like Blixar's coming into your forward half ruck. But you're right, Grundy has never shown he's been a great forward. He's more of a number one ruckman and plays as a midfielder. Mm. Gorn has rested forward. It, it was really, really good in 2021. 2022, who is ac- his accuracy and just his, his target numbers were not woeful, but were quite low. Pretty so, woeful. Yeah. So it, it didn't look as great. So it's, it's worked one year, it hasn't worked the second. But again, I just yeah look at Brody Grundy and say, how can you pass up bringing in an elite player that wants to come to your club?
1: Uh, in terms of value recruits, Chris, do you have any, any thoughts on which players may be able to provide the most bang for buck for their new clubs?
0: Yeah, sure. So Jack Bowes, I actually think will be a best 22 player and obviously coming with pick seven. Last time Geelong had pick seven, of course, that was Joel Selwood in 2006. And the only other top 10 pick they've had is Nakaya Cocker too. So they've done an incredible job without even those That's the only top 10 pick they've
2: had since Selwood.
0: Mm. Yeah, true. Yep. Wow. They just
1: keep wedging the window open, don't they? Mm. With something every year. They just manage to find a way to just keep that window open. Uh,
2: and you, you look at Geelong's off season and you think they could very easily go back to back. They could, but but to to that point, I didn't realize that I knew they didn't have many, but I didn't realize it was they had one. How how much? And I and I know this is your this is your niche, and this is all your 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 thing, Chris. But how much do we overrate draft picks? I mean, seriously, if you look at that, Geelong's had one top ten draft pick in what what do you say seventeen
0: years? Mm. Yeah, so two thousand and six. And they've been the most consistently... and in between that time, just cockatoo.
1: Yeah. Well, ship them out, get experienced players in. You talk about trading pick one for picks two and three or three and four or whatever it might be, you're twice as likely to get at least one good player
0: than you are with pick one. So it just goes to show sometimes it can be a bit bit like that. Mm. And additionally, I'll add on to that as well, those clubs that are consistently your good clubs, whether it's your Geelongs, Hawthorne, Sydney's, and Collingwoods, they haven't had all that many early picks. Whereas you look at your Gold Coast, your Greater Western Sydney's, mm. your Carltons, they've accumulated all these early first-round picks over the years, but it hasn't really taken them to the promised land. Well, it's almost so.
3: I feel like GWS have almost had too many. And mm. it's sometimes it's been by design because they've traded out. Some of them have been, um, you know, they got back-in-the-day concession picks and things from a couple of more years. But it's almost like you've got too many, too many high-end picks and not enough spots for them. And, they, and obviously, midfielders take up a lot of those high picks. And we've just seen a continual sort of rotation out of GWS. It's almost like, well, yeah, if one of those years they could have split their pick 10 for... 30, 40 and 50 and taking a midfielder or a key forward and a key defender things might look, look a bit different for them so. mm. yep. and
0: contractually as well that there's the issue of well you've got all these young players that went early so they're going to want big contracts but they haven't necessarily performed to that level where they deserve those contracts and that's why we're seeing all this flood out of GWS out of Gold Coast each year so they haven't really been able to work that out ultimately
1: Any other value uh, recruits that
0: uh, um, the busy? other one that was really impressive for me was Jack Gunston so even though he's a 31 year old now I think even yes. He might have turned 31 But only pick 48 And then um, Brisbane's 2023 fourth round selections So if you look at his last five games He kicked 17 goals So mm. he's still absolutely firing
2: oh, He was a player that I sort of noted earlier in the years, a forgotten player when he came back And he had a really good start to the year He's a match winner mm-hmm. um, He's someone that can take a mark He's good on the lead He's crafty He's a, he's a, he's a smart forward um, And he's a great goal kicker which is kind of, I think, what Brisbane does lack at times from its key
1: forwards. You can find that Hipwood, um, Danaher, can do a lot around mm-hmm. the ground, good at ground level, good ish up, up up high. But when it comes to the actual goal kicking, that is kind of where they are let down a little bit. Whereas Gunston might be the influence and in that older presence mm-hmm. that just sort of says, you know, guys, if you if you need it, if we need a, a goal or a get out yeah. goal, just find me. I'll kick it from wherever it is. Or, or
2: just the way, or just yeah, the way he, the the way the forward line now sets up with him in it. Um, I I think just the trickle-down effect to someone like Charlie Cameron, I think, will benefit from playing with someone that is so smart, like Mm. Jack Gunston. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that was one of the best pickups of the uh, offseason. The The one that I was looking at was Tom Mitchell. I know a lot of people think Tom Mitchell's washed, but he's only 29. He feels older than that. He feels like he's been around for a lot longer. He's only 29. Won a Brown though only a couple of years back, and... I think he's exactly what Collingwood need. Uh, a, an inside player that can go in, win clearances. Um, obviously, we know he wins plenty of the ball. He did it plenty of times against Collingwood. <laughs> Gets the he mm, um, had done 50, didn't he? Yeah, it? a couple of times, I think. And I think he's exactly what they need. I think he's a great addition because it's probably the area where, and it's funny because each week we're looking at Collingwood and you're you're trying to make a case for why they couldn't win, but they kept winning. And the reason each week was they just feel a bit, Slim in the midfield Particularly mm. when uh, Taylor, Taylor Adams, Adams went out um, And DeGoey was forced To go in there yeah, We
3: spoke about it all year But their, their Rankings in the end Were 14th for disposal Differential 17th for contested Possessions 14th for uncontested Possessions And 16th for clearances Tom Mitchell you're bringing in last six years. First for disposal across competition, seventh contested possessions, fifth for uncontested possessions, and ninth for clearances. So he's a top 10 player in each of those areas that they were deficient. Yeah,
2: and I think, as I said, so I think a lot of people just assume he's older than he is. He's not. Um, he, he's only 29, and I think he's going to be a great pickup for the for yeah. pies.
3: Another one that goes back to probably a bit of a forgotten player when you mentioned that um, a bit earlier about Jack Gunston, but Lockie Hunter for me. Again, just... Melbourne, um, you know that they just they can just add little tiny bits of pieces because they, they're so close to, you know, being at the top of the ladder already. But yeah, I looked at sort of his last five years and sort of, he definitely sort of lost favour, he was sub a lot this year, he started on the bench a lot of games, but he's had a steady increase, or decrease, sorry, from 29 and a half disposals per game four years ago, down to 25, followed by 23, down to, I think, down to 19 this year, so below 20. Mm-hmm. But yeah, going back to, I think, 2017 2018, he was the number one uncontested um, possession winner in the competition mm. so he can find the ball and again they've added him for basically nothing probably would to sit on the opposite wing to Ed Langdon and uh, yeah I can really sit, feel like we'd sit here about halfway through next year so how good has Lockie Hunter been for Melbourne
1: another wingman another neat address Carlton picked up Blake Acres for nothing yeah. uh, I think another tick there for the Blues uh, and I think we mentioned it before but Junior Rioli um, getting to port adding to that firepower in that port forward line I think was just a really shrewd move and, and something that I could sort of see him kicking in, you know, 25, 30 goals and he hasn't played a lot of footy in the last couple of years but you kind of forget just how crafty he can be mm. uh, and how important he was to West Coast. You mentioned, you
3: mentioned the wingman so Blake Akers comes into Carlton and I looked at their sort of top five wingers from this year who they were using so Lockie O'Brien was at 90% he's still there Setterfield was their next most uh, Will Hayes played a couple of games there later in the season uh, and Jack Noon. So all three of those have been delisted. Oh, well, so that's they, exactly So they knew it, but what was, they were in. I was just Blake about Acres.
2: to say, before at the Acres move, did d- does or did Carlton have the worst wing situation of any team in the yeah? And, they, and but
3: well, it was almost as down as... the Probably the team that was with him was Hawthorne. So Hawthorne also tried... They tried Tom Phillips, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I think he only got six or seven games. It was very heavily used on the wing. Harry Morrison, I think they nailed him. Ned Long only played one game on the wing and they used a few other blokes, but they've gone and got Carl Amon, who, again, mm. across the last two years, third-rated ring, uh, winger. People probably see him as an outside player. He's the number one sort of tackling wingman in the competition, so he does get in and around the stoppages to sort of give you another defensive one. And, yeah, I think he sort of complements... And, again, I want to talk about Cooper Stevens in a minute as well, who's probably more of their inside uh, pickup. But, yeah, Carl Amon's going to sort of be a very good outside player to that young midfield.
2: Carl Amon, one of only three players to poll... Three consecutive <laughs> best on grounds on Brownlow Medal night. Is that who are a the others? Aaron, oh, Aaron, Aaron Hall. Hall, who is? Who's the other one? No, no, on on, on this this oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on your I think one. it was uh, only Crips and Crips, Merritt and Amon. Oh, there you go. Uh, Cooper Stevens, you were saying.
3: Yeah, just um, we we're talking about Geelong and how the fact they've had a great trade period, but again looked at one of the blokes they lost Cooper Stevens who was going to probably be a valuable addition you talk talk about you know the the veterans that have been leading their midfield in the last three or four years and the young guys ready to step in he was probably their next one so just looking at his VFL numbers and VFL rankings top three for him in again my favorite sort of stats ball winning so disposals contested possessions top three for tackles and top two for score assists so the, the ability to be able to win your own ball sort of impact defensively with tackles, but also hit the scoreboard from you know an inside midfield role with score assist so again just i loved what hawthorne did last year picking up ward and mcdonald as sort of a midfield duo that sort of complement each other um and i can see cooper stevens being sort of one that complements Jai newcomb quite well as another inside mm-hmm. one and it's going to take a few years for the Hawks, but three or four years, I can really see a nucleus of a really good midfield there with those four names.
1: Really quickly, before we move on to the draft stuff, just an overall best recruit. Does it have to be Josh Dunkley, a best and fairest winner going to the Lions?
2: Anyone? Well, best player, I yeah. think, yeah. Um, And obviously, Lockie Neal there as well. He went there a few years ago too. So they've managed to pick up two... Really, really good players. And yeah, to, to the same thing about uh, Collingwood, what they needed. I think it's the same same with Brisbane. They need another body in the midfield because at times it's been relying on someone like Reese Matheson. We've spoken on this podcast about Jared Lyons and his drop in form and, and where the club seeing him. So yeah, I think he's a great pickup. And Dunkley is another one, like Mitchell, who probably wasn't playing... Um, as many minutes in the midfield as he would have
0: hoped for and what I think he should be playing. So, mm.
2: yeah, I, I think he's going to be a big win for them uh, next
0: year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've actually got the same opinion with Dunkley. Um, The key things are, so obviously Neil was the dominant midfield midfielder there, but having that second genuine ball winner, but the additional thing I've noticed as well is Brisbane... The defensively, they've been incredibly poor. So actually, having that guy who really applies the pressure, tackles as well—that's yeah. of huge value to that midfield and that real missing element. He's so one of the best. The
2: he's one of the best. I don't know what if the, if it's on the stats, but that Smothers one percent is Dunkley um, tackling pressure. I haven't have looked for a midfield. couple of years,
3: but I do remember we we did dig, dig that up when he first joined ESPN. He was you know number one in Smothers across his career, like from the time he played or yeah. something. So he's always been up there for that. Yeah, the one percenter type stuff.
1: Moving on to the draft. Uh, Chris, we sort of mentioned off air or or earlier in the pot, even uh, just sort of how this this last this year's crop will be one of the last that you will just we might not be so sure about given that we haven't been able to watch them throughout the COVID pandemic uh, and we're still probably, you know, this year's, this year's crop that is, we might not have just been
2: able to see them as are much we as we would Are we still in the COVID pandemic? Uh, technically. Someone said know. this to me the other day. They said, oh, you know, and I was like, are we still in it? I think we'll always be in it, won't we? It's never right, going to just It's just going to be, be
1: around, gone. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so... Obviously, there's a, maybe a little bit of an unknown about this year's draft, but not as much as in previous years. As a general sort of looking at, at the at the cohort, what are your general thoughts about it? The depth that this draft might have, and, and any other bits and pieces that you can uh, let us know.
0: Sure. So early on, for starters, so two of the actual likely, probably top five names. So I've got George Wardlaw. He missed a big chunk of the season. So he hasn't had as much exposure as we'd like. And the same with Elijah Sardis as well. Again, big chunk of the year missed. So there is that element of unknown. And as well, we weren't really sort of seeing him last year either. So that's one of the interesting things. But what's what I find really fascinating with this year's draft is I'm finding just the amount of players that are great both as midfielders and forwards I've never really seen that dynamic in play before so I don't know if it's just that all the prospects coming through have been watching a lot of your Dusty Martins, Christian Petrarca's, Marcus Bontempalis, but it's certainly the way they're playing it really genuinely looks that way.
1: When you look at sort of the depth um, you know obviously the first round you kind of want to get into that top 10 it's just a bit of an arbitrary number that clubs like to pluck but where do you kind of see
0: the quality extending to and, and, and at which point do you think it might start to sort of fall away? Sure. So there's always sort of, I guess, various tiers within the draft. And look, early on, I see a pretty strong top eight that I would really love any of those players in that range. And there's a few players even at the back end of that range that I really quite like. And then you could say probably there's a top Roughly twenty, and then a top thirty, and then from there it's really sort of up to you. Maybe some clubs from there would be going more in the list needs direction or and mature ages yeah. or something like that. Yeah, potentially. Yeah.
1: So we thought we'd run through each club's first pick, just that way uh, no clubs miss out, and there are. You know, I think Richmond 53 is their first pick and that's before any matching of bids and all this sort of other stuff. So we thought we'd run through every club, um, uh, each with their first pick and then maybe get a sense of what you think would most address their list need or if they take the best available player at that point. So we can kick things off. Uh, The Giants have pick number one this year. Where do you see them heading? A bid for... Uh, Will Ashcroft?
0: Um, that's certainly possible, um, but irrespective, the player that I see them ending up with is Aaron Cadman. I believe they traded up for a reason to get to one to get Cadman to make sure that no one else trades into a range where he could potentially go off the board. So best key forward in the draft, and look, they really need that key forward. So um. fair enough. Uh, the Kangas, as we mentioned, they've got the next two picks. Uh, where do you see them? Which direction do you see them looking? Um, So George Wardlaw and Harry Sheasel So with Wardlaw, you've got a strong, powerful mid Has some explosiveness And really defensively applies himself to a great level So he's almost that, I guess, player that almost comes in for Horn Francis, if you like And then you've got a Harry Sheasel Who's a talented forward, but also fantastic through the midfield as well
1: Reassure the North fans out there Are they Victorian? Um, They're both Victorians, so I
0: can't imagine they'll be going anywhere (laughs) Uh, The Bombers hold pick number four Any thoughts there? Yeah, sure. So um, I I think they'll probably go towards a midfielder. So Elijah Sardis on best available basis would probably be the pick I'm suspecting at this stage. And then the Suns at five. Yep. So um, maybe a Bailey Humphrey. So given they lost Rankin, they might be looking for that forward mid sort of talent. So with Humphrey is a really powerful, strong marking forward, but also can go through the midfield, win his own ball. The Hawks have pick number six, and Christian, as you kind of
1: mentioned before, they'll just continue to add these pieces as they go. Uh, And they seem to be building a group that's quite a young and, and exciting group, what kind of position do you think they're going to address in this draft, Chris?
0: Sure. So um, given, obviously, Mitchell and O'Meara have gone, I think they'll be definitely going for a midfielder. So I, I think maybe a Cam McKenzie might be a chance. And and what sort of player is he? Um, So he's a classy mid, has some explosiveness, but can win his own ball. So he's a very balanced sort of inside-outside midwear. Whether he's winning it or receiving, he can do a bit of everything.
2: Need to get the Warpedo back in there.
1: Yeah, the um the cats, as we mentioned earlier, got uh, the pick number seven shipped to them for the Jack in the in the Jack Bowes trade. Uh, the cats likely to use that on a certain player.
0: Yeah, I, I think if he's there, I think Jai Clark, so a local Geelong Falcons talent. I think they've really earmarked with that pick. So just, an, just another part of their perfect offseason
1: if they end up with Jai Clark.
3: Trust me, it's just they've they've had it pretty well at the moment, and he's he's. Definitely a top 5 talent And he's a local boy If they get him at 7 My question laughing.
1: is Wouldn't you let him Go off somewhere else Let another club develop him And then just yeah. lure him back home <laughs> In a couple of years Like they seem to do I mean
0: it's yeah,
1: It's not crazy to suggest that <laughs> uh, Okay well there you go
2: So the Eagles have pick 8
0: Yeah so uh, maybe a Ruben Ginby Might be a can chance you, can there Can you
2: take 10 players With pick 8
0: As I feel like West Coast Need about 10 players yeah. Their their midfielders really I guess in a stage where they really need to regenerate their list where you've got a lot of aging talents. So they need to start bringing in some good youth. So, um again me might be a chance as that sort of strong bodied sort of ball winning mid, good distributor. Um was previously a defender but during the under 18 champs he was really consistent as a mid and that was his new position. And just looking at West Coast
3: across the year, I think they had from their midfield setup, I think they had three guys that were under 27 that spent a little bit of time in there. It was Luke Foley, Connor West and uh Third name escapes me, but I just remember looking at their centre bounce setup was still She, uh, Yo. I think Kelly was just twenty seven. Yeah, Shewey was mm-hmm. in there towards the end and the season. So definitely sort of saw a lot of their list play this year, but not many of them were used in the midfield. We saw Brady Hoff and guys like that used behind the ball and up forward. But yeah, genuine midfielders on that list. They took Campbell Chesser, who was injured all the last year, so he's he's a midfielder that will come into the team hopefully this year if he's fit. But Definitely that's where they're devoid at the moment. I
1: remember you were quite hot on Campbell Chester as well
3: before. Um no, he,
0: he was one I actually rated quite a bit lower than oh, I right. was picked, actually. So um he's, and
3: again, the numbers say the same as what you it's all about speed with him. He's very, very fast and he looks very, very good on the outside, but we've seen the same with the numbers. He has he's not hasn't really dominated a game of footy, you know, twenty five touches or three goals and things like that. So he's yeah, he looks more like a complimentary outside midfielder at the moment, but they've
2: obviously got big reps on him.
1: Uh, the Saints have had a pretty dismal off season. we haven't even had a chance to talk about this Jake the Brett Ratner Rats. situation maybe we should have done a podcast special when that happened yeah we
2: should have I think we were just both way and doing things oh, so, Busy busy
1: yeah. uh, well, The Saints need to kind of Salvage their off season From here Chris How do they do it With pick nine
0: um, Well they'd be loving A Bailey Humphrey But I think he's probably Taken by their pick So he would have been That sort of Jordan Degoe-esque Type yep. But I don't think He'll be there So possibly a Matthew Jefferson As a key forward Might be one where Maybe he can give A Max King some support And that genuine second option uh, the Blues have pick 10. What do they need to do to get back into the finals contention? Yeah, so I think they really need more outside midfielders. So Blake Akers is a step in the right direction, but I think um, Oliver Hollands is a chance. So um, younger brother of Elijah from Gold Coast. So um, But yeah, just an elite endurance runner, won the 2K at the time trial. So, uh, The Dogs have pick 11. Any thoughts there? Um, if he's available, um, Mateus Filippo. So he's almost like your Bontempelli clone. So he's a late-year birthday, 192 centimeters. has all the same gifts, has the speed, the skills, the contested ball winning can go forward. So really good prospect, and they'd be lucky to have him if he makes it through. You kind of mentioned the combine and the 2km time trial. What changes
1: from before the combine to after the combine when you're looking at some of this stuff do you, do you really look at at you know the the vertical leap results and go ooh yeah that extra little bit or this player that stands out a bit, maybe there is a bit more than I previously thought. He can jump one centimetre higher. I'm going to draft
2: him 10 places higher. How
0: how much does your thinking or the thinking of recruiters even change when you see some of this sort of stuff? Sure. So different recruiters will no doubt have different stances. But for me, look, over time, having seen the results, you can have a Joel Wilkinson win the 20-metre sprint, but ultimately not able to apply it in games. So I ultimately use the draft combine as a way to sort of gain additional context. And I really look at, well, how do they play and how does what they do in game fit in with that and i think there's there's a probably a good example of that this year in terms of um a guy that sort of
3: you've got to be good to be in, invited to the combine i think it's the top 70 or 80 prospects so they're always on the club's raiders but darcy jones the wa prospect too broke the record in the agility test and um i don't think he would have been on many first round boards pre-draft combine but he might be starting to sneak in there now and i just looked at his season what he had to sort of you know you're trying to prove yourself in uh, in your draft year. So he started the year six Colts games, uh, so Waffle Colts games as a WA boy, then got into the Champs, so had to play three Champs games mid season, come back and played three Waffle League games, which is their senior team, and then finished with two Reserves games. So he's basically played four different teams, four different roles, probably hasn't been able to solidify that on field exposure and, you know, got everyone excited, but come mm-hmm. across to Draft Camp or Draft Combine, put up those results, and then you'd, you'd see a lot of recruiters go back, watch the tape, and say, okay, how do we. How does his in-game stuff apply to his, you know, his draft combine uh, testing? And, yeah, I think he'll get get a bit higher in the draft board now.
0: Yeah, and I'd say on Jones as well, he's one where he actually applies it in-game. So in looking at him breaking the agility record, I'm not surprised at all. Just because of that sheer run and carry, he can run at 30 metres, guys are traffic cones around him. It's just easy for him. Mm. So And he can just take on the game at will. So he's great to watch, and that's why he's in my top 20. Oh, We might get to him a bit further down the board Uh, The D's at 13 Who are they probably likely to look? Another Ruckman Yeah, so um, we'll have to see if he's available But um, a Jed Buzzlinger is a key defender Not that Melbourne necessarily needed as their highest need But another case of if he makes it this far Would represent great value Fair enough Uh, The Swanee's at 14 Um, So I'm looking at a bit of a hole in their midfield Where you've got Josh Kennedy retiring So I reckon maybe a Henry Huss weight as that 194cm, so tall mid But wins... A good amount contested and great distributor by hand as well. Uh, the pies at pick sixteen. So Collingwood really need more talls. Um, and one who should be available is Isaac Keeler from Adelaide's Next Gen Academy. It would be the very top end of his range if he went there, but um, great talent, really athletic, good at ground level, can also go through the ruck.
1: Now remind everyone at home the rules that have changed recently in terms of uh, matching bids on academy prospects outside the top. Uh, sorry, inside the top forty.
0: Yeah, so um, basically any Next Gen Academy players, they can just be picked outright by any club inside the top 40. So there's no opportunity to match. So there's no Jamari eagle Hagen opportunity where you can be bid on at pick one they can match. doesn't happen anymore. So um, the likes of an Isaac Keeler won't be able to be matched. And it's the same with a Cam McKenzie as well, who's part of the Saints Next Gen Academy, where he'll probably go top 10. And um, yeah, there's no opportunity for the Saints to match Unless he just gets to their pick Then they can just choose to take him
1: if Fair enough uh, The few picks between Collingwood's pick at
0: 16 And then the Crows at 23 But the Crows' first pick is 23 uh, Are they going to look local? Are they going to look elsewhere? Um, I've got a local talent in Harry Barnett So for me, he's the best ruckman in this draft And great contested mark But additionally as well, he just wins a lot of the ball out of the ruck as well So um, looks like a very developable player Frio pick 30 is their first pick. Sure. So um, I've actually got the name Darcy Jones. So although he's top 20 in my power rankings, um, yeah, I, I think he might slip just because he's that shorter type. He'd be, he's certainly sub 180. And um, yeah, just has the speed, really introduces that outside flavour that um, Fremantle could definitely benefit something, from.
3: Something that Frio definitely were lacking, especially in that final you saw it against Collingwood, the, the ability to break the lines. You've got some really, really good ball winners and really some uh, disciplined midfielders,
1: but just that exciting line breaker is probably mm. something Freo would love to add. Uh, you mentioned your draft board. You've got a three-round phantom draft coming out this week as well. So we thought we'd give that a little plug. ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. Keep your eyes open. Uh, Port Adelaide, 33. We already talked about the
0: really good offseason that they've had. Their first pick comes in the 30s. If they can nail that, whew, tick, tick, tick. Mm. So the player that they would, I, I believe they would certainly love to have available is Ethan Phillips. So he won the Fothergill Round Mitchell medal for the VFL's most promising young player, so um, key defender just intercepts everything, really strong one-on-one, so I think he could be a key defence solution and an immediate one. And you know that. They, they were trying to get Radagalia to
3: sort of turn him into, you know, the, the the talk was to turn him into a key defender to help out the Aaliyah.
1: If you know they missed out on Radagalia if they can end up getting Phillips, they'll be happy with that. Mm. Uh, we've got two teams left. We mentioned uh, the Tigers off the top with their first pick in the 50s, uh, but Brisbane at 34 but this
0: is a little misleading because they do have a couple of names that they'll be looking to take before that. Yeah, so Basically, Brisbane's game plan during the trade period was let's accumulate as many picks in the 30s and 50s as we can in order to match bids. So they've got two father sons, Will Ashcroft, who either would be a pick one or two depending on if he's bid on at pick one. And then you've got Jasper Fletcher. So two gun father-sons and they're certainly going to be matched. That's Brisbane's plan. In terms of how they've worked their, their points that they've accumulated, is it just those two and then get out? Or is there potential later in the draft as well they could? Um, well, look, there's still the opportunity, even in the lead-up and on draft day, to make some potential switches. So they could decide potentially to take more, but um, they may just choose to take two. We'll have to see. And the vibe goes. is they're definitely going to be taking both? Yeah, they'll definitely take both and match bids on both.
1: Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, Tom, 53. Do you see much value lower in the order that they can sort of pick someone
0: up? Yeah, there potentially is. And look, given they added Taranto and Hopper as those sort of, I guess you could say slower but great ball-winning mids, I think they might look to something a bit more outside, a bit more outside run. So maybe a Jason Gilby, who was a narrow second in the 2km time trial during the... Um, combines so he might be one one of those players considered. you look
1: at the combine results and you go yeah we'll take a pun on him there mm. you go uh best value pickup so we talk about the first round a lot everyone knows the top 10 all these power rankings come out all that sort of stuff but are there any names that you look at sort of you know outside the first or second rounds that, that you go yeah a, a club could really pick up a good little prospect in in this player at this at this sort of draft range
0: sure so i, I find in having looked back at drafts past the opportunity or the greatest opportunities tend to be in the form of mature ages where you can have a Geelong taking a Tom Stewart at a pick 40. Um, this year I see two mature ages that are actually part of my top 20 power rankings who on most AFL club draft boards would be rated much lower. So Casey Voss, who isn't a guarantee to even get drafted necessarily. He's someone that I consider a top 15 talent. If he was Famous picked. name? Yeah. So son of Michael, of course. So it's surprising he hasn't been picked over uh, the years. That is surprising given,
2: years. given his surname, You'd almost you'd almost expect it to go the other way, where they take a punt on someone with that sort of surname. Why has no one given him a chance?
0: Yeah, the major knock on him is probably the speed, mostly. But he's one of those players where he's got the smarts, he's got the skills, great interceptor, um, good one on one, very competitive. So he's got all the tools to really just be a lock and load, best twenty two, pretty much any team player as in defence. And and the other one as well, um, Ethan Phillips. So he's one where I think he should get picked and probably in that mid. Um, draft range, but key defender, um, yeah, just ready to go. So strong one-on-one, incredible interceptor. Do you find that clubs are using their later picks for this a lot more than they have in previous years because there's a chance of a a higher or a
1: more immediate return?
0: Honestly, I've felt it's gone the other way because of course now we've got the pre-season supplemental period, you've got the mid-season draft. So clubs are really looking at those more so as the opportunities to gather those types. So it's more so clubs, if anything, are waiting for those times to take them and really I guess during the national draft in particular really going for youth which i'm not sure is necessarily in each case the right um way to go but um as long as they're picking the right talents well that's the key there you go. Well, uh,
1: for your club's first pick, look no further. We've got you covered, Christian. Any thoughts on the draft from your perspective? I know that when we last talked before, sorry, after the grand final, you said that you were going to be turning your attention pretty much straight towards the draft. I know that lacrosse has popped up in the meantime, but any thoughts on uh, on on some of the draftees or, or potential no, moves that we could see? I
3: mean, Chris nailed it when he when he first spoke about it. The first thing I look at is it's not a you know. We sort of talk about the best players are midfielders. not a draft. where it's just all midfielders. There's just so many different types of midfielders. You've got two-way running midfielders. As Chris said, a lot of attacking midfielders, mid-forwards. Even someone like Sheezle, we got him more as a general forward. He's about a 55%, 60% forward to 40% midfielder. Guys like that. So it, it, to me, yeah, there just seems like a lot more um, sort of different types of players in the first 12 to 15 picks where you're not just getting like five gun ball winners. You're actually getting... Um, we sort of talk about Filipo and um, a couple of the other guys, uh, Huswaite and things like that. The the excitement factor about them that, that they've got. So yeah, I think it, the, that's the one thing I noticed about the draft is it's not just ball winning. You know, so you would in expect the
1: then that there's probably more incentive for players. So sorry, sorry for clubs to go after a list need instead of a best available? Because I think the the conversation that you kind of hear crop up every year is, do you go best available? Do you go list need and maybe reach for someone? But clearly that seems like the early part of this draft There's almost something for everyone if you really need to pick pick the eyes out of it.
3: Sort of a little bit like that in trade period too. I think a lot more attacking players and even mid-forwards sort of get picked up in this trade period. Not a lot of defenders. I know, as you know, sort of said, Radigalia was targeted for port and things like that. So so maybe some of the deals didn't fall through. But a lot more forwards and attacking midfielders sort of seem to change hands this year. Um, So again, I think, you know, again, there's going to be a few good defenders early, but I think it's going to be a very, very first 30 picks. Everyone's going to sort of be attacking to their best offensive you know or their attacking half um you know so it sort of depends on what type of ball movement clubs use and which player sort of fits in with their sort of style i think in those first 30
0: and the other thing I'd note as well is, of course, on draft day now, there's the opportunity to make draft day trades, so on both days of the draft. So basically, clubs can, when they identify it, they can actually get into a sweet spot in the draft, whether it's to, maybe it's to identify a need where they might identify, say, a tier of players they consider pretty evenly, and then they can potentially get that player that fills a need later on. Mm. So,
1: And we've, we've seen clubs being able to exploit that quite well, either taking on, Uh, lower picks to to, to slide a bit if they're happy to sort of pick someone a bit lower down the spectrum to get a bit of value in uh, and help out another club Uh, and you find that I think list managers over time uh, will learn to not not pick holes in this sort of rule but learn to use this rule to their best advantage as well in coming years And, and if they say they, they are chasing a more defensively-minded player or a key defender, they might not need to be active in the draft as early as they think. And so you can kind of sort of see pick swaps and all that sort of stuff happening. Uh, interesting stuff. Like I said, Chris, you've got a lot of content coming up for the website. So um, the three-round phantom draft, as I said, on Friday coming this week. Uh, next week, going to look at a dossier on how North Melbourne can reinvent their list. Uh, some other little interesting bits and pieces, of course, the November power rankings and then uh, leading up
0: to the draft, a, a number of bits and pieces. So... You're going to be busy. <laughs> yeah, that's my busy time of year. Not much sleep, but um, it's fun nonetheless, and I get December to rest up.
1: Well, we very much thank you for coming into the studio. First time in a few years, as we mentioned. So thank you very much for making the effort. Uh, we appreciate the work that you do, and we appreciate that you've come in. Uh, so thanks again. And Jake, good to speak with you as always. Bits good to be back. Good to
2: listen to all that. Yeah. Uh, take a few notes. Oh, I'm definitely the not the expert not... on this sort of stuff. No. It's nice
1: when we get Chris in and we can just sort of sit back and let the podcast episode ride itself.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, no, it'll be good. I think we might be doing another one closer to the... Uh, to... Draft Day.
1: Very subtle of you. Very nice. Uh, I was almost going to forget that. But yes, we will do another podcast uh, leading up to Draft Day. Maybe in the week before, uh, we'll talk about your final final power rankings, uh, any late moves and all that sort of stuff. Christian, always good to have you in the studio. Uh, Enjoy the lacrosse season. I will, yeah. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) It'll be good fun. Chris, uh, thanks again for coming in. Thanks for having me. To everyone at home,
2: we'll speak to you in about a month or so. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.